Welcome to another episode of Cowgirls and Indians. I am Christina Cook, the cowgirl. I'm Keith Nobles, the Indian. And we are here to take your hand and guide you through... I don't know how to explain this. I I, I struggle with this every the single day. The craziness episode. of the world. The craziness of the world. There you go. We are we are your guides to uh, anti nihilism. How's that? Yeah, that's right. Uh, that works for me. That works for me. So today's episode, and if you listened last week, then you already know this. Um, we're answering the question: Is tribalism good or bad? That's that's the the topic of today. Now there was some debate before we hit record on this as to whether it would be that question or why is tribalism bad? Okay, <laughs> so a little bit of a um, bias in that question, maybe implied a no, little bit. I'm, I'm just good at the obvious. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so let's let's dive into that. Let's first of all, what do you mean by tribalism? Let's start with that. People in society divide themselves up. Into teams. Okay. And compete against each other. Okay. Usually over the trivial and well, the meaningless and, and out of context things. Typically defined tribalism by people placing what their tribe says or produces or believes above the truth. Usually, but that's not the definition of tribalism necessarily. No, not necessarily. But that's the functional definition of for the society we, we live in today. Okay. Um, can you belong to many different tribes? No, not by the way progressives define it. You're either on their <laughs> okay. team or not. Right. That's, that's really it. And, and sadly, there's, there's many people in the Republicans have adopted a similar kind of model. You're either on my team or you're not. If we're talking politically then. Yeah, um, and culturally in, in many so ways. So culturally, I'm thinking Broncos fans versus Chiefs fans. Um, well, and you that's, know? that's So good... I can be both a Broncos fan and a Republican. I can, I can identify with different tribes. I can um, be a Christian. I can, you know, that's what I'm saying. No, but, well, that would be true, but that would be characteristics of yourself, right? They kind of, you It's tribe... the teams that I identify with. Though. Yes, but it's, it's tribalism. In this Maybe context, the they're, they're defending, <laughs> they're, they're defining in Byzantium in the 6th century. Okay. There was. There's a segue. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's a good segue. It, it, it demonstrates historically it's the best example of the problem. You had society divided into two groups of people based on competing factions at the Hippodrome. Greens and blues. Right. And there were... We don't know, thousands, tens of thousands of people who were killed. Right. Over this in riots in over whether you Constantinople. Were green or blue. If, yeah, which <laughs> which team you were on. I mean, that was just over competitive events that were publicly held. Right. Right. Um well, I, I mean, people really absorbed that into their soul. There's a fanaticism that, I mean, of course, is the bottom, the the base word for the word fan. You yes. know, um, is really fanatic. And, yes. and so and I, you know, I only learned that a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it never occurred to me before that. But that, that fanaticism, you know, maybe fanaticism is bad, but I, it, it is a human. It's a natural human tendency. And there's a, an evolutionary, a biological evolutionary reason for it, for humans to associate themselves with the group. This is true. And so I, you know, I mean, we're social animals. And yes, but this is not just associating yourself with a group. Okay. Right? It's the um, willful intent of destroying those who are not in your group. Okay. That's there's a different stage. Yes. Of, there's something yeah. much 
more sociopathic about it. Okay. That's that's really I think well, it's a competition for I mean again go go back to evolutionary biology you know it's it's a it's a competition for resources well, if you're not part of that group and if they're not going to accept you into that group then yeah your reason for being needs to be to destroy that group well <laughs> if you have any survival instinct whatsoever right? well yeah but in this case right um, that whole belief comes down to believing that things like economics are zero sum okay yeah. And then they're not. Well, no, they're not in a capitalistic society. They're not. No, absolutely. They're, they're not. But in a limited geographic area, and when you're talking literal resources, they may be. Well, maybe, but that's not the situation most people are in. That is not in. the situation that we're in now. I'm just, I'm yeah. trying to, I'm trying to get to the root of what, it, what exactly it is that we're talking about. Well, I, I think it's, it's pretty simple. People use. <laughs> you <different>. always do. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one who manages to make it complicated. <laughs> you know, well, most things in life are pretty simple, right? It's using applying different standards if people are on your team or not, judging things by if your team produced that thing or not, throwing objectivity and truth out the window. I mean, that's that's really it. Okay. My team can do no wrong. Your team can do no right. Hence, my team should win and your team should be destroyed. Okay. And when society has divided itself up into teams like this, it's tribalism. Mm-hmm. It's never productive. It's never useful. It's never good. And we see this. One of my favorite quotes to paraphrase, Victor Davis Hanson. Postmodern world cannot solve a problem worth solving. Right. Right. And, and this is a major reason why. Because the problem we're trying to solve is proving we're somehow superior to the other guy. And the actual problems are, nobody's even trying to solve right. our actual problems. Right. Right. But do do you, am I the only one in this room who sees a tad bit of irony in us talking about this when we're absolutely assured that we have the right answers? <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I, think, I, I, I think we do. I don't think we're assured of the right answers. I think what we're assured of is what the process is to acquire the right answers. I think that's a very well-trod path. I mean, I don't have the answers to 99% of what ails the country. Okay. Right. I mean, I just don't. Okay. But I, I know the path people take to reach proper answers. Right. I know what things occur to prevent people from reaching the proper answers. Right. I mean, that's that. And that's really what we're talking about. So let, let me give you an example of that Victor Davis Hansen quote. OK. Back uh, it was episode five. We're talking about the history of Indian rights. OK. And you you brought up the Washington Redskins. Right. If I think about. The name of that team, the Washington Redskins. Do I find it offensive? Sure. Thing is, I don't think about it. Right. And the reason I don't think about it is because it's unimportant. Right. Compared to the fact that federal policy is diminishing the lives of many people who live on these tribal lands, the name of a football team is unimportant. Completely. Yes. But they solved that problem and they thumped their chest about solving that problem because you can't actually solve the problem that matters. Right. And so it's just... It's just a great example of exactly what that is. And, and so tribalism in our current iteration has just devolved into people solving meaningless problems or not even problems, creating straw man problems. That's that's and, and, and then thumping their chest. That's really a, a, a characteristic, just simply a progressive thought. That's not even a tribalistic problem. Well, no, other than these ideas are always premised on tribalism. All of these nihilistic because tribalism is a, is a ubiquitous feature of human life. Well, no, because they are intentionally 
dividing themselves up, dividing society it's the us up versus them in, in order mentality. to gain power. Right. Right. Soviets, Nazis, right. fascists, progressives. So we're I think, the good guys. They're the enemy. They must be destroyed. The only way you can destroy them is to gain total power over them. I mean, that's that's how the the mindset goes. Sure. And and I'm not going to disagree with that. It's I what what I what I I guess I'm trying to get to is that it's a stage. I'm, I'm trying to find. Let me let me see if I can find this article that I was looking at this morning because they were talking about. See, and not my favorite publication. It's from the Atlantic. Okay. But it's actually a really, really good article, and I'll link to it in the show notes. It's called The Myth of Tribalism, which I think is interesting. It's by Dominic Packer and Jay Van Bavel, B-A-V-E-L. And they talk about how there are different stages. And of course, I'm not going to be able to find that part of it. <laughs> but um, there are different stages to, to tribalism. And like the fifth stage of of tribalism as a as a psychosis let's just you know sure we'll, we'll go your your route there is the us versus them we have to destroy the other guy but it's like the fifth stage and it's not inevitable was the point that they made right um, yet, yet here we are well <laughs> so they talked about uh a, an experiment that a social scientist did in northern iraq after the end of the war the end of the gulf war we're left with all of these Christians and Muslims and no way for them to get together, right? Except that everybody loves soccer in yeah. that part of the world. And so what she did is she created a situation where you had interfaith teams that included both Christians and Muslims. And what they found in, in the course of, of a league, you know, and they did this like for a year as an experiment to see, you know, what the effects would be on the group norms. And and that's really what they were trying to study was the norms. And it turned out that, you know, when you participated, especially on a winning team <laughs> within with, you know, interfaith, and you were going to be, you know, the, the, the members of that, that team were going to be, you know, much more willing to reach across the aisle to, to talk um, a little sure. bit more. And, uh, and I think you've touched on this before. I mean, we translate that to our country now it used to be that, for example, our politicians in Washington, D.C. all went to the same churches. They all, you know, the kids all went to the same schools. They, you know, went to the same soccer games, same football games, whatever. And they had a lot more social interaction that was positive. Yeah. And so there was a lot more reaching across the aisle. We don't have that anymore in large part because of uh, campaign finance reform and how they're, you know, always having to raise money. So they're always at home um, as opposed to, you know, being there and not having those experiences anymore. It's the norms of the group that form the psychosis that you're talking about. Uh, true, to a large extent. And so, so maybe our challenge is not so much tribalism itself, because I think that is a ubiquitous feature of, of man, but how do we change the norms? Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I don't know that tribalism has been the norm in the United States so much. I think it's been the norm in human experience since the beginning. Yeah, but, you know, the United States, very much an idea that you were an American. Yeah, tell that to the Catholics. Well, no, I think Catholics have felt fully American. Right. I mean, the, the times <laughs> you can really say there were exceptions to this, probably in the South, the 30 or 40 years after the Civil War. Right. But those are pretty rare exceptions. I mean, we talked about the 
you know, our, the two episodes we did on the Indian rights, Cherokees were saying they're marching us down the trail of tears. And we were saying we're Americans, damn it. Right. Right. So, so America was a team, but there were America, other teams that were, that were arrayed against them. Well, America was a team and Americans did not always agree on things. But historically, when push came to shove, everybody thought they were an American. Because the norm was we are all Americans. Yes. Right. Yes. And that is no longer the case. I think it's undetermined how much that's not the case now. Okay. I mean, I think we certainly see if there was to be, say, a war with China tomorrow, I don't know how many people would line up on the side of China. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, well, we were all united after 9 11. Yes, we were. That was not very long years. ago. No. So 22 years. Yeah. Well, <laughs> kids born after that can now drink, you know, I mean, that, that yeah, yeah, well, this my is mind. true, but it <laughs> feels but yeah. like yesterday. Yeah. So how, how far we are off in that way, I think is undetermined, but there are people who very much want to use historical grievances, want to use race, gender, lifestyle to divide Americans up into groups. Yeah. And they do that in order that they may acquire power. Divided they don't care yeah. so much about the people who are supposedly on their side. Right. All they care about is can those people help them acquire power. Right. Right. That's that's the tribalism we see today. That's progressivism and, again. Though. Well, I mean, that's that's the, the progressive tribe, if you will. Republicans well, have their own tribe. And we are not like that. I don't think we're like that. Oh, I think there's a lot of people who've adopted the model. <laughs> okay. Right? Um, I, I know Republicans. I know prominent Republicans say, well, we can only, the only way we can fight this is do the same thing back. Well, I vehemently and, disagree. Yeah, I don't think that that's, one, we're horrible with their tactics, and so we shouldn't even try. And, and two, it's not productive. No, so it, I, it's I not productive. But we see this Republican side judging people and things by different standards all the time. Okay. Right? I mean, that's just constant. If Obama did something, it was bad. If Trump did the same thing, right. it was okay. Or it was Obama's fault. Yeah. <laughs> something. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, yeah. The, the fact that we just have objective standards feeds into to our tribalism. Even within the GOP, like we have talked at length. Oh, there's tribes in the, inside the GOP. Absolutely. Yeah. There's tribes within the GOP. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if you're going to escape tribalism, you have to escape tribalism because you can't <laughs> okay is that another one of those obvious statements <laughs> it, it is right you can't engage in your own tribalism and then complain about the other guy's tribalism i don't have a problem with tribalism i guess that's my pro my, my my argument is that i don't necessarily have a problem with tribalism i have affinity groups that i am going to identify with and i am going to defend those groups and i'm i don't see a problem with that what i see a problem with is the and you have to annihilate the other guy well i see a problem with that well and I, I just don't see how you get rid of tribalism in the United States. I don't see how that even remotely happens. Oh, I, I think it's the same way you get rid of so many of these other things, right? People get rid of tribalism because, or at least it vastly decreases in popularity because people see the effects it has. Okay, people can get rid of the we have to destroy them, the us versus them mentality. We can get rid of that. But, but the other part you have to get rid of is the absence of objectivity. The other part you have to get rid of is... My bullshit's okay and your bullshit's bad. Okay. Right? I mean, last time we did this, and we've done this a few times in American history, right? Last time we did this was that, that era after World War II. Right. And uh, people were just absolutely in a no bullshit kind of mood. 
after after the war. This is true. Right. People are just like, we're we're done with this. These ideologies We're done with all this nonsense. But there was a huge upsurge in at at that time during that period, there was a huge upsurge in patriotic feeling, first of all, which is tribalism. Um, There was a at that point, you know, a very much a, a loyalty to family, God and country. Um, you know, there was, well, let me ask you, is patriotic feeling tribalism? Yeah. Why? Because it's a, it's a, it's a group that you feel affinity for that you were willing to defend those norms for. I mean, <laughs> the, the idea that people are not going to sort themselves into affinity groups, that's what I'm pushing back on. I don't think, yeah, that that's, I don't think, I don't think sorting yourselves into affinity groups is tribalism. I think it is. I think it's the definition of it. Oh, well, we're going to disagree there, right? (laughs) Like I say, I think that, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have affinity groups. Those groups are going to have norms. You're going to want to uphold those norms. Okay. So that's really, in a nutshell, that is what tribalism is. Now, the question is when you get to the upholding the norms piece, does that include destroying everybody else on the planet? in order to, for your group to be successful? Or is it a different definition of success for that group that actually doesn't involve destroying everybody else, which is a much healthier expression of it, right? Um, well, let's go back to your definition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, God, these um, are fun conversations. <laughs> yeah, well, no, because I, I don't think that's the definition of what we're seeing today. Right. I mean, you have people like all sorts of things and they may congregate with other people like all sorts of things. There's people like stamp collecting. There's people who like I'm talking about things like churches. I'm talking about family. I understand. But, you know, people can congregate around all sorts of things. Right. That they may have common interest in. Okay. They may have, you know, people form chambers of commerce because they think there's common effort to be made. Right. I mean, it's just endless. Right. But they're all. Voluntary associations, right, right, most of them, or they should not be, right. Exclusionary, meaning you're excluding people on things like immutable characteristics, right, and that's right, right? and uh, no, no, that's right, right. So I mean, that's that's very different than the tribalism that we're experiencing here today, culturally, politically. Okay. I understand what you're saying. What I what I I guess what I'm arguing about is that tribalism per se, having a team that you believe that you're on um, is is not something that's going to go away. And I mean, we see that we saw this, uh, for example, in in the political arena, going back to the Tea Party, Uh, you know, it's not the Boston Tea Party, the, the Tea Party in 2010, because those those folks banded together. It, because they felt that they were being attacked. Well, they, yes. They, they felt that, you know, this, this was an untenable situation for people like them. And so they had to come together because the only way that you can do anything in a, in a republic is through numbers. You, you have to come together through numbers. So unless we're going to get rid of the republic, you're always going to find these political teams that people are going to get on. Okay. It, it's just right. Yeah, but even then, right? That that doesn't really reflect what we're doing today, though, right? As far as tribalism in our society. I mean, the tribalism in our society right now is um, the idea that you can gain advantage through your membership in some collective group mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with your talents, has nothing to do with your effort, has nothing to do with merit, 
right? It's just this belief that belonging to this group instead of that group is inherently superior. Okay. And I, I can't disagree that that's wrong. So uh, right. let's just, let's just, let's move off of this and, and move forward. And, and I guess we'll answer the question of why tribalism using that definition is bad. Okay. And how, how we can combat that, how we might have an opportunity to, to transform it because we're not going to agree. On <laughs> <this>. <laughs> and, and I don't want to spend the entire time arguing about what the definition is. <laughs> All right. So, so obviously uh, the, the progressives, let's, let's just start with that progressive team. Um, you know, they believe that they are morally superior to everyone else on the planet who thinks differently than they do, you know, that they can impose their will uh, on other groups, that their tribe can go to war with the, with the other tribes and come out victorious. And that's bad for the country. That, that's, yeah, bad for humanity. It's bad for humanity because progressive ideas are so bad, not necessarily because they are a tribe. No, well, it's the tactics they have always taken. Right. To do this. Right. This is always the path they have followed. You know, Soviet Union, it was... Anyone who was an aristocrat. Right. Anyone who was a shop owner. Anybody who didn't fit in with the new man. Any, anyone who was in an educated professor, uh, profession, right? right? Engineers, doctors, right? I mean, that was, that was the focus, right? They're the enemy. They're not in your tribe. Nazi Germany, we all know, obviously. Right. Jews, any number of other people. But yeah, Nazis were after anyone who believed in any sort of representative government. Right. Right. Not in your tribe. They must be destroyed. Fascist Italy, much the same model. Right. If you argue against fascism, you're not in our tribe. I, I mean, it's, this is what we see today. Right. Right. We see the same kind of thing. You're a bigot. You're an idiot. You're... On the wrong side of history. <laughs> whatever the phrase is. Yeah. If you're not in our tribe. Right. Right. And the whole goal of all of these things of tribalism is the dehumanization of the other fellow. Right. I mean, that's that's really, you know, the goal that that this has. And that's for, for all of our faults. I feel like and I'm sure that you're going to correct me. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's the one thing that Republicans get more right than wrong. You know, and conservatives in general get more right than wrong. We don't I don't think tend to dehumanize. Do we? Sometimes. I mean, there's certainly that faction of the GOP that does. I do not think, no, most of the GOP does not. But there's certainly that faction that does. Mm -hmm. uh, there's certainly a faction that, there's things that a great many Republicans do that are not helpful, right? Uh, calling people libtards, <laughs> right? <Yeah>. Making fun <laughs> of people, how they look, what their name is, you know. I know a couple people who listen to this podcast who are going to cringe when you <laughs> hear what you <laughs> but, but, you know, the thing is that that stuff just isn't helpful, right? Because yeah. ultimately, right, what we're talking about here, how many people can you convince? Yeah. Yeah, you just don't convince people by doing that sort of thing, right? right? It's not helpful. No, it's, it, it's not it, helpful. It's but... not helpful, right? And, and uh, I mean, part of the problem here, in my opinion, these people are capable of coming up with any number of things that, that Republicans might find outrageous, offensive. These people being progressives? Progressives. Or? Okay. Right? And it's part of making tribal warfare. And part of that mm -hmm. is they know Republicans will react and Republicans will react in probably a fairly predictable manner. Pretty that, much every time. And that yeah. makes Republicans very easy to manipulate. Yeah. Right? It just does. 
I mean, I was thinking, you know, driving over here, how far we've descended from the Federalist Papers to boycotting a beer. <laughs> well, <laughs> <Right>? I mean, <laughs> I'll grant you that, but Federalist Papers didn't have a whole lot of beer advertising. So, well, well, I, I, if, you know, if there had been a ton of beer advertising at the time, maybe we'd see more similarities. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't know if... Uh, I don't know how much beer was advertised in those newspapers then. But <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> no, Not no, lot. no. But, but but that's the point, right? Yeah. I mean, we tend to get Republicans tend to get tribal themselves. They get down them. Very much so, which was my argument earlier. And they sling Everybody is going to. And I think. This is my team. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to deny that this is my team. So. Right. Go on. I'm sorry. No, no, that's that's fine. Um. You just don't defeat this by doing it. That's the problem. We can't employ their same tactics. No, you can't get in there and fight this on a tribal basis and then defeat tribalism. What we can do is we can change the norms of the group. You can change the norms of the group? Help people understand what maybe the, the true norms are and see if they're more attractive. That's how you persuade. Yes. yes. A lot of people <laughs> tend to think the whole purpose of the GOP is to defeat progressivism. No, it was um, it was founded to defeat slavery. Well, yes, it was. Yeah. But, you know, that we don't have better ideas about how to do things. Right. We do have better ideas. We we often don't give voice to those better ideas because we are focused on. Isn't that part and parcel of defeating progressivism is getting our better ideas implemented? Well, you know, you can't get them implemented if we can't get them out there. And if you look at the. What passes for Republican debate right now, a lot of it is arguing about tribalism, arguing about here's why what the progressives are doing is wrong. And we have covered so many things that progressives <laughs> do wrong right. in this podcast, right? right? Right, But you have to put it out there and go, here's why liberty matters. Here's why. Make the positive, the affirmative less case. Less government matters. Right. Here's why. Being in charge of your own life and not having bureaucrats directly or indirectly running your life is better. Right. Um, so making the affirmative case for the, conservatism and conservative policies. Well, yeah. And, and beyond that, making affirmative cases for what causes human beings to thrive. Right. Right. But that's, I think we tried that and it didn't work. In I, large part because they're louder and they appeal to that childishness uh, that pervades, you know, permeates our society at this point in time that, you know, people who want Santa Claus to come every day and never have to work or face reality or face the consequences of their actions or any of that kind of stuff. They're, they're, they're appealing to a very base emotion there that we're not. I mean, conservatism just from the start is a hard sell. It's a hard sell unless you think about it, unless you're, you know, you've been you've been educated in the the topics of it. And unless you hold freedom as the highest good, which we all do, I don't know that that's a universal being taken care of could be. Yeah, so it wasn't so long ago that that was pretty close to universal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't very long ago. But that's my point is it wasn't it didn't take them very long to to completely permeate society with that childish. I want everything and I don't want to pay for it attitude. No, but I think Republicans very much gave up on preaching alternative messages. Okay. part of that was people we elected. If you elect somebody on these messages of liberty and freedom, 
and they do the opposite than it is, and you defend them, it becomes really difficult to convince people of your sincerity that you believe that. Okay. And we're back to, uh, at a large degree, Bush and Cheney. Yeah. I, I mean, they're, they're kind of the poster children for that. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and so they, they destroyed that, the credibility of conservatism they to did. a large degree. They did. In their defense, it was a very, first of all, way more glad that we had Bush in office when 9-11 happened than, oh, yeah. than what's-his-face. Gore. Gore. So, you know, so to start with that and the highest priority for Americans after 9-11 wasn't necessarily freedom. It was safety. Oh, no, that's absolutely true. And so so if freedom is what we had continued to sell and there had been another attack, which was a distinct possibility at the time, you know, then then what? Yeah, but you know what? Here's and I've made this point many times in many ways over many different issues because history won't be kind to us. No, it's never going to be kind no, to us. No, history is not going to be kind to us. So we fought the American Revolution. We made contingencies, expediencies mm-hmm. that were very much against what we claimed to be fighting for. Right. And when it was over, we rolled back those expediencies. When we fought the Civil War, Lincoln made expediencies that were very much against what he claimed he was for. Mm-hmm. When the Civil War was over, we rolled back those expediencies. Right. When World War II Came along. All of those made, events, they, all three of those events had a beginning and an end. Yes, they did. So did the so did the war on terror. Really? Oh yeah. We've defeated terror. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, I, I mean it was obvious within two years. I, I think after nine eleven that Al Qaeda didn't have the ability to repeat that kind of an, an Doesn't attack. Doesn't mean there wasn't some other organization out there who was okay, but capable then, of it with state-sponsored terrorism. And okay, so but then the logic of your argument is we should have these things in place forever. I'm I'm not. <laughs> I understand that's the logic of the argument. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to find a way to thread that needle because there. I don't believe that that kind of until we make friends with the entire world which is never going to happen, or we get a one-world government, God forbid, in which that kind of thing is irrelevant, um, you know, you're always going to have other countries that are out to get you, uh, you know, when you're America. I mean, when, when, when you are that shining city on the hill, you make a great target. So, you know, if that's... Yeah, we still have the Patriot Act with us. I understand. Yeah, this is, this is the problem. Right. I mean, it, I mean, and that, which is exactly what we've been dancing around. But I mean, that's the, the Patriot Act, Homeland Security, you know, all that crap. I, I believe that they have violated our rights with all of that. But that being said, I understand why it was put in place. And I also understand why it hasn't been sunsetted the way that the other expediencies were, because I don't believe you can say that the war on terror is over. Now, they also could be continuing to hype it up in order to keep the Patriot Act in place, which may be your point. Well, no, my point is that that threat is long past. That threat was done two years after 9-11. That threat no longer existed. Now, we may not have realized it at the time. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty solid statement to say that Al-Qaeda or whatever other organization no longer had the capability to do. I mean, 9-11 worked because nobody saw it coming. Yeah. Right. That was that was why 9-11 happened. Nobody. But what's what what capabilities are you talking about that? I mean, the the ability to sneak across our southern border with a dirty bomb. I mean, that's not that's not a high bar. No, but it wasn't a high bar in 1988 either. Okay, Uh, it was actually a lower bar in 1990. 
two or three than it is today. Right. Right. Yet we didn't have part the... because of the Patriot Act at this point. It was meant. I mean, it was meant as a deterrence to keep these things from happening again. It's it's meant to raise that bar so it is harder for them to do anything. Once you drop that, then you drop the bar and well, they come the... across the border. I mean, that's that's the argument that I hear is that they come across the border with a dirty bomb or they set off an ICBM from the middle of the ocean. Yeah, so I don't know if the Patriot stops any of that or has repealing the Patriot changes any of that. Because the problem you have with the Patriot was the domestic effect. Right. The problem you have with the Patriot Act is the ability to collect intelligence within the United States. Right. That's the problem you have. So if a guy at the dirty bomb in Mexico has nothing to do with the Patriot Act, that's no different than it was in 1992. Right? Okay. You would have you would have been collecting the same intelligence in the same way before the Patriot Act as you are today. Okay. Right. The problem with the Patriot Act is really it lowered the bar for spying domestically. Right. Right. That's the problem. And like I said, within two years of 9-11, that was probably not an issue anymore. All right. So we repeal that part. The I mean, and put it back to to where it ought to be that there is no longer any legal justification for spying on U.S. citizens yeah. within the U.S. So, or U.S. citizens overseas, but or, yes. Okay. So then what? Does that make it better? I think it makes it better. Well, I mean, obviously it makes it, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it returns our freedom and, you know, to us. That's not the point. Um, what am I trying to say? Does that erase the damage that Bush and Cheney did? No, it acknowledges it. Okay. That's really the problem you have because what we have here is a lack of trust in government. I'm just saying that lack of trust in government is all due to the Patriot Act, but I think it is also kind of symbolic, mm -hmm. right? Nobody has sought to repeal this. Right. Not, not, not Bush Cheney, not Obama, not Trump, not Biden. Right. right. So. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, but, but my point back to where I was going with this, with these expediencies, right? Okay. You roll these expediencies back, you roll them back, you roll them back. Okay. Right? The United States after the Cold War failed to roll back those expediencies that we made for the Cold War. We just assumed they were permanent. Right. We made more expediencies for the war on terror. We have not rolled those back. Right. Right. And so within the context of what we're talking about here, tribalism. <laughs> right. I mean, part of our primary tribalism is just how powerful we have made the government, allowed the government to be, and just how powerful we will tolerate the government to be. Again, I think that's a feature of progressivism, not necessarily of tribalism per se. Oh, uh, so, okay. Uh, uh, you know, identifying with a team doesn't Yeah, but that's, that's not really where I'm going though, right? Okay. Where I'm going is, right, we've upped the ante so high okay. for acquiring government power, right? Government power, it, it used to be 30 years ago, you won the White House. Mm -hmm. Okay, you had very limited and defined things you could do. Right. You won Congress. You had very defined, limited things you could do. Okay. Okay. Those things are a lot less defined and limited today than they were 30 years ago. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Barack Obama, George W. Bush all did things. Bill Clinton or right. the first Bush or Ronald Reagan or Jimmy Carter would have never considered doing. But let me push back on that a little bit. Vietnam War was never declared by Congress. Okay. Korean War was never declared by Congress. So, so you know, the crap that FDR put through, I mean, he overstepped hugely in, in the 30s. You know, and, I mean, so... And what, 
the last four presidents have done make what FDR do with bumper cars for kids. Okay. <laughs> right? I, I mean, seriously, they're firing government agencies and firing up what should be dealt with legislatively, and they just do it at the whim. Granted, separation right? of powers, they just scoff that, at at this point. No, that, yeah. that's right. That's right. There's a lot of debate we could have around war making powers and why and, you know, but but that's not where I'm going with this. I'm going domestic policy. OK, I mean, Joe Biden literally fires up legislation single handedly. Yeah. Right. Says we're doing this. We're doing that. Executive right? order bullshit started under well, that started under Obama. Well, there's always been executive orders. It's how yes, yeah, how presidents have chose to use them. And, you know. You could definitely place a lot of it at the feet of Obama. The mm -hmm. second term said, well, I have a telephone and a pen. Yep. Right? Um, you know, before that, there was a certain, at least a certain amount of respect of the other party to Congress while you were president, <laughs> right? That you were going to work with them, not right. thwart them. But we have, yeah, especially at least since the second half of the uh, last four years of Obama, we certainly have... The idea of the president's job is to thwart the will of the people. Yeah. Right? As much as possible. That, that's uh, right. And that's the, the, you need to be on the right side of history rhetoric and, you right. know, that kind of BS. Yeah, right. This all feeds back into this tribalism argument, right? Why is tribalism now so deadly? Why is it I have to destroy my opponent? Because mm -hmm. of this. Because of how much power we have invested in these people that we have given them far more power. Than they had, like I said, even 30 years ago. Okay. Right? I mean, Bill Clinton. That'll lie. Yeah. I mean, Bill Clinton never thought of doing these things. Uh, I'm no fan of Bill Clinton. But, you know, <laughs> Bill, Bill Clinton, had other things on his mind. Yeah, well, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Bill Clinton was, yeah, like, like we mentioned before, Bill Clinton adopted that after the Republicans took Congress. Uh, Bill Clinton adopted that whole triangulate yeah. idea. I'm going to sit here above Republicans and Democrats and, yeah. You know, and and basically, if Congress passes it, I'm going to sign it kind of yeah. a thing. Right. And he went along with where the will of the people had taken Congress at that time. Right. It's not that he necessarily agreed with everything, but he was not going to thwart it. We ended up in a very different spot with Obama. And we ended up in a very different spot with Trump and we're in a very different spot with Biden. Yeah. At the time we're recording this, there is a debt ceiling crisis yes and there's always a damn debt ceiling crisis well you know they're 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 playing this one very close yeah just the fact biden and the republicans i can't even talk about it mm -hmm. right i mean i i think what i'm no fan of uh mccarthy but i i understand and you know but, that but, sentiment. <laughs> but you know the republican house proposal for the debt ceiling limit seems eminently reasonable mm-hmm and Biden and those guys won't even entertain it. Of course not, because it came from the other side. Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's exactly where we're at. Yeah. Things come from the other side and nobody even will entertain it. Right. And, and that's, that's the very definition of the tribalism we're talking about. Right. They, they're all ostensibly elected to represent the citizens of the United States. Right. They don't. They're, they're representing their own narrow interests. Yeah. And we can't Whoever seem donates to, and gives them insider tips. Yeah. Well, yeah, we can't seem to figure out, right, that that is a byproduct of this tribalism, right? I think there's a few other factors that are in there. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. I think at its base, at its core, 
that, that we really we really have to to change the norms again. I mean, it, it used to be the norm that the president would work with Congress no matter which party was in the majority. Right. It used to be the norm that you put, you know, a love for America and everything that she stands for, including the Constitution, including the Declaration of Independence, our moral authority. You know, you used to put all that at the top of the list of things that you were loyal to. And that's no longer the case. You know, we have a first lady who claimed that she was not proud of her country until her husband was elected president. Um, And who then the first black president we ever had went on to talk about how racist America is, you know, over and over and over and over again, again, tribalism. Until we change the norms surrounding all that and surrounding, you know, the pride and country and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, my only solution goes back to the schools. I mean, that's really where you instill those norms. That's where you instill this stuff. That's where you, you know, you say the Pledge of Allegiance every day before class. You know, this is where you don't study Howard Zinn's history of the American people. You actually study history. I, I saw this week that, uh, nationally speaking, only 13% of eighth graders are proficient in history. I saw something about that. 13%. I think you can lay a lot of that at Howard Zinn's feet as well. Well, <laughs> I, I'm guessing they're not even proficient at Howard Zinn. Well, probably not. <laughs> right? They're not, they're not proficient at any of it, true or false. Right. They just don't. Yeah. They, they just don't know. Right? Our schools are failing our kids, <laughs> for sure. Just in, in the basics. But more... No, uh, public school education, not everywhere, but many places, are all about recycling dollars from the taxpayer into political campaigns. Right. That's the purpose of them at this point. Creating willing subjects for the future. Educating your children is not even in the top 100 of their concerns. No. Right? Never has been. And and if the pandemic didn't prove that to you, then I don't know what to tell you. I mean, the, the, the way that they handled education during the pandemic is absolutely atrocious. And Randy Weigarten... Um, who heads the the teachers union nationally? She she was one hundred percent all over that. Yeah, because you know, I mean, it's 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 uh, frustrating. But that's that's I think where really I mean that's for better or worse. Let's let's look at what the tactics were. And we talked earlier, don't employ their tactics. But the the tactics of the progressives were to go after the schools first. That that was a very, very effective thing to do. It was. And I think you've in, um, indicated to me before that the Soviets were the same way, thought the same uh, way. Oh, yeah. The Nazis and yeah. fascists. Yeah. Yeah. And so changing that, changing the, the environment within our schools and how the schools work. So really what it comes down to, and I've heard this over and over and over again, the older I get, the more I see is true is school boards are some of the most important elections that you can possibly be involved in. Yeah. We have to get conservative majorities on all the school boards. We have to. Yeah. We have to. Yeah, and I mean, it's tragic because I know a number of people who uh, their kids are presently being bullied in school yeah. for being conservatives. Yeah. Yeah, for well, not buying the me. tribalism, right? Yeah, because it's in, they, they that the bully victims, is endorsed. They are the victims of tribalism because right. they reject tribalism. Right. I mean, people need to grasp this, right? I mean, all the all the talk about gay students being bullied or transgender students being bullied. My suspicion is the most bullied students in school are conservative students. I'd say that's probably. And I would say that true. these people who complain about bullying couldn't give a damn. Yeah. That that's the case. They applaud it. Yeah. 
right? They, they applaud it. Well, and, and, political views are not a protected class. I, you know, well, and that's why. It, unless you're a progressive. Unless, <laughs> well, it's not, and it doesn't have to be. That's, that's the reason. You know, the, the only thing that protecting, I mean, not that conservatives would ever argue for this to actually happen, but, you know, if you were hypothetically to say the political ideology is a protected, is a protected class, then we'd see some 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 movement. You'll never ever ever see that because the only people who could benefit would be conservatives. The only people, yeah, who could benefit. Yeah. yeah. Well, the bottom line to this, this is the bottom line to all this tribalism, right? Mm-hmm. You're teaching people there's something more important than being a decent human. Yeah. Right. That's really the bottom line to this. Yeah. And this is really you were talking before we were talking the definition of tribalism. We didn't agree, but this is really it, right? It's what is most important to you? Tribalism, right? Which is being a member of your tribe. Is that more important than being a decent human being? Is that more important than the truth? Is that more important than any objectivity? Is it actually more important than actually solving any of the problems? And the problem we have today is for many people, yes, that answer is tribalism is more important. My collective identity as part of this tribe. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the value they see in that collective identity, as I mentioned before, is the idea that without you, you can acquire things simply by your membership in that tribe. It doesn't require merit. It doesn't require work. It doesn't require accomplishment. It just requires nothing more than membership in that tribe. Hence, I am entitled to this. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's, that's the real attraction to the tribalism. Right? It makes life simpler. I don't have to spend years working for that. I don't have to have any merit in this particular thing. Right. I could just get it by being a member of the tribe. Right. It's it's this collectivist mindset. Yeah. That is really the problem here. That collectively I am entitled to this, not based on anything I've done or accomplished, but based purely on my membership in this tribe. Okay. I, I see that 100% with certain tribes. Absolutely. I, I don't feel like... Again, I, I don't really feel like conservatives do that as part of our tribalism. No, it's so, when, and I, I do not deny whatsoever that we have tribalists, you know, within Republicans. This is why we have echo chambers. Yeah, well, no, know? I mean, there are Republicans that do. I mean, we just need to admit there's a certain aspect of the Republican Party that embraces that. Well, I don't know who in the Republican Party thinks that they're being given any special favors simply because they're Republican. No, but they think they should. Like what? Like who? I mean, I, I don't I don't I don't see that. No, there are certain Republicans who think I'm entitled to have my social views be made to law. OK. Yeah, that, that is that is really not thought of it that way. That is that is pretty prevalent. OK, if let's 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 play let's play a little thought experiment here. If those quote unquote social views are actually based in empirical evidence and truth, is that not the case? No, not always. Some of these views are pretty off the wall. Well, no, I understand right? that some of the views are off the wall. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is for those that are based in empirical truth. Yeah, so there are quite a few Republicans who think things that were social norms for a long time should somehow magically be transposed into legislation okay. without doing the hard work of actually returning those to social norms, not right. legislative norms, but social norms. Right. They're saying, this is why this was a good idea for 5,000 years, and that was a bad idea for 5,000 years, right? No, let's just right. pass a law 
And well, which is not, I, and I, I, I would argue that's not an inherently conservative concept. No, there ought a, to be a law is not a very conservative no, no. thing to say. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I would say it's not a conservative concept at all. But there are a great many Republicans sure. who kind of have that sort of a mindset. Okay. And so, yeah, in that sense, right? They want the merit. They, they want what they want without the hard work and the the merit that goes into turning society's mind in a different way. What would be nice is being allowed to make that argument f- for the social norms without the legal machinery being used against you. Oh, that would be absolutely true. And, you know, cancellation, all that goes with that. Yes. Um, or, you know, being targeted, like literally targeted as, you know, by some of these progressive shooters and these mass shooting events, simply because you're conservatives you know, or the the Supreme Court justices being allowed to rule based on law without protesters gathering outside their home. Right. There is a law against that. Yes, it's not enforced. By, it's not enforced not by, by Biden. Not by a Democrat administration, a progressive administration. It's not enforced because they're conservatives. That's what I would argue for. Not that my views ought to be made law, but that my views ought to be able to get a fair hearing without me fearing for my life. Right. I think that's reasonable. No, that's that is eminently reasonable, okay. right? <laughs> but but that's different than then people say, well, you know what? I, I mean, and again, we're back to what we've talked about so many times, mm-hmm. right? Our goal here needs to be the depoliticalization of these things, right? Right? It's not passing more laws. It's not. Yeah, it's getting rid of laws. It's getting rid of policies. Absolutely. It's getting rid of government agencies. Getting rid it's of government's the, influence and that's control right. it's over the your de, life. The depoliticalization is our goal, not passing more laws. No. And you mean our goal here, not necessarily here on this podcast, but our goal as Republicans, as conservatives within the society. I'll be so blunt to say it. Our goal as Americans well, yes. should be yes. that, right? As yes. American citizens, we should be all advocate for the depoliticalization of society. Because the politicalization of society and the politicalization of all this is creating hell. And people, there are people on the progressive side who very much want to create hell. Yeah. Because they think it delegitimizes the existing society and that is their goal. Right. Right? I mean, let's just be clear about that. We should all be arguing for the depoliticalization because that is the road out of hell. Right. We should not reward these people. For trying to create hell. <laughs> well, that would seem to be a given. But <laughs> no, 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 it's not. But but back to our point, yeah. right? You can't get there by engaging in your own version of tribalism. All right. You you have to get out of it by, you know, we're right back to all men are created equal. Yes. Right? Yes. I mean, that's that's that is the statement. You can't get the, let's 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 make sure that that's very, very clear. Because what I hear when you say that, and this goes back to our differing versions of definitions of, of, of the word tribalism. What I hear when you say that is everybody should completely disassociate from any affinity group that they have because that's bad. And that's not, that's not what you're saying. No, 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 What no, you're no. saying is we cannot use those affinity groups in such a way as the progressives do in order to defeat the way that the progressives are doing tribalism. Yeah. We can't, we can't do the same thing that they're doing to to right. make anything yeah. yeah, we hold different. these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That is the anti-tribalism yeah. part of this country. Okay. 
right? That we are not meant to be these different groups competing over rights and who gets what, right? Right. We are right. all to be treated equally, right? Right. That is that is the anti-tribalism. When it comes to our government, there should be no tribes. That I 100% agree with. Right. Absolutely 100%. Yeah, agree. but all this tribalism is about government power. And it's all about, as we said, who will get what that they didn't earn, they didn't work for, they, they've shown right. no merit for. Right. But simply by affiliating with this group or that group, I'm entitled to this or I'm entitled right. to that. Which ties in the victim mentality, which ties in communism, you know, in, in and, and I mean that literally right. not as an ism, but, you know, the, the communal thinking and all that. Yeah. You're right. So, so let me read something Hayek said. Okay. Because you talked about this, right? Right. Tribalism, right? Let's talk about this because voluntary organizations, mm -hmm. organizing things, people working together to accomplish goals mm -hmm. is an inherent part of society yeah. everywhere. That was my right? argument at the no, beginning. No, no, I understand, <laughs> right? And that's different from this tribalism. I'm talking about, okay. right? Okay. But Hayek said, the argument for liberty is not an argument against organization, which is one of the most powerful tools human reason can employ, but an argument against all exclusive, privileged, monopolistic organization against the use of coercion to prevent others from doing better. Mm -hmm. And this tribalism we're experiencing now is explicitly exclusive, privileged, monopolistic, and uses coercion to prevent others from doing better. Bingo. Right? Yeah. So what we're talking about here is we want what Hayek said. We want voluntary cooperation. We want people going, you know what? We can improve our lives. We can improve other people's lives. Let's work together and, and make this happen. Right. That's what you want. Yeah. What you don't want is this competing for government power as a zero-sum game. Right. That, you know what? If I get it, I'm going to reward myself and punish you. Right. Yeah, that's that's and that's OK. I want us to gain the government power so that we can. What's the famous libertarian saying? Uh, we want to get elected so we can leave you the hell alone. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's basically what I want. Yeah. And and I, I think that that that's really that's the only purpose for which I want government power. But we have to compete for government power or else we hand it all to the to the freaking no, progressives. No, that's right. Yeah. But the more we politicize things that should never be politicized, the more we go along and cooperate with that, the more we're increasing government power. Right. <laughs> if, OK. Right. I'm trying to think of an example. What are we going along with on this? Well, any number of things Republicans want to argue on political grounds that have no, okay, that, that should not be political. Let's make it concrete. What are you talking about? Um, well, I think our next episode, we're not talking about ESG. Yeah. Right? Want to outlaw ESG. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there are so many other solutions to that problem that have nothing to do with government. You know, that, that is a great example. Okay. Right? I mean, there's all kinds of people proposing legislation to make it, you know, basically ESG illegal. Well, yeah, that's not going to happen, but no, it's not going to happen. But but the more you politicize it in that way, the more you make it within the government realm. Yeah. The worse the problem gets, the more every time Republicans politicize something, progressives win. Right. OK. That's the reality to it. Every time we take think about that, one every time we take <laughs> one of these issues that we are willing to politicize. Right. The, the progressives win. Are we the one politicizing it? We are. Not necessarily the ones politicizing it, but we are very often 
making no effort to depoliticize it. So few Republicans will say that is not a government action. That is not within the realm of government. That is something private. Government has no business Absolutely. in this. Absolutely. And they will... We'll talk about this this more in the next in the next episode. But when we're talking about, and, and I think that this applies to to more than just ESG, when we're talking about the government creating laws to uphold the concept of it, or premising federal contracts on it, right. or you know any of any number of other things, right? You know, and that's the source of that's this like the real source of the power. That's where the rubber meets the road power kind of stuff in, in, in a lot of ways. In, in um, a lot of cases. And so especially when we're talking about private enterprise, you know, stuff that stuff that ought not to be politicized, it becomes politicized because the government has that contracting power, because the government has the power to outlaw. I mean, and they 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 don't have the legitimate power to do that, but they can certainly pass laws and they can certainly award contracts and they can do all this stuff. And we can argue from here to next year that obviously they shouldn't have contracts. They shouldn't have the ability to spend all this money. They shouldn't be spending all this money. I mean, you know, there's, there's any number of, of things that, that ought to change with that. But they certainly... It takes us back to the conversation we we're having earlier about how much we've empowered these people. Okay. Right? I mean, the, how much we've empowered the executive branch that they could set all these conditions at a whim to get a federal contract. Mm -hmm. Right? Without ever being empowered to do so by Congress. Right. I mean, back in the 1980s and the defense world, there was a thing called Beltway Bandits. Beltway Bandits? Beltway Bandits. Okay. And basically, federal government passed a law that such such a percentage of any defense contract had to be performed by a minority-owned company. Mm. And so you would give a contract to one of the large defense contractors, mm -hmm. right? And they were obligated to subcontract a certain percentage of that money out to minority-owned companies. So, I mean, here's what happened. It was a total, I mean, the whole idea there is, right, you're supposed to give uh, minority-owned companies a helping hand. Mm -hmm. But that's not what happened. Of course not. Right? You would recruit somebody who was black or Hispanic or an American Indian, give them some share of ownership in a company, and then go get a contract and claim you were minority-owned. Okay. Right? I mean, that's just how, in reality, it worked. And there were hundreds, if not thousands of those companies oh, sure. that were out there. And it was just compared to the intent of the law, the yeah. execution law was just a joke. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're, you're just getting a bunch of retired colonels <laughs> and <laughs> giving them money. Right. I, I, that, that was all that it really ever amounted to. Right. The whole thing. Right. It had nothing to do with uh, helping a minority owned company succeed or a minority owned company trying to compete on equal ground. Mm -hmm. Right. And nothing to do with that. It was just a bunch of retired military people. Right. Who were working the system for essentially free money. Corruption goes on at every single level of government. And the more money is involved, the better, the bigger the, corru the corruption. Now, it's just a, a given. No, no, it, it is. It's and, just a given. And, so take away their money and you take away the corruption. Well, yeah. So if you're going to give contracts out, which government's going to do. Government's always done mm -hmm. since George Washington. Yeah, the basis on which you're going to give these contracts out matters. Yep. And, and people... So at that point, you how can long ESG the, makes sense? Well, I think being silent about ESG makes sense. I mean, that's what I mean. Out, outlawing 
ESG as a or you know a social score as oh, a yeah. as a consideration in the awarding of contracts yes. makes complete sense at that point. Yes, or in the actually not just ESG, any other factor other than the ability complete to perform merit. the contract for the price. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, I think that's the point. And, and so I, I haven't seen any of this anti-ESG legislation, but I'm going to lay best the dollars to donuts. It's at least some of the pieces of legislation that have been introduced are along those lines, outlawing it in terms of federal contracts, that, which makes sense to me. You know, it shouldn't be a consideration. It absolutely 100% shouldn't. And I don't think that that's having introduced legislation like that is not politicizing necessarily an issue that we should be trying to depoliticize. It's making sure that the government is staying out of something that has no business being. Yes, but but there's a difference here. Okay. You can say, we'll award contracts based on the best price for the services rendered. But right. is there really anything else you need to say? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, anything else. That covers everything else. You know, same thing. Yeah, there's, so, there's a lot of word... Different states are passing legislation or trying to pass legislation that they will not invest any state funds in companies that practice ESG. Okay, good luck with that. Well, yeah, well, good luck with that. But even then, right? I mean, all you can do is cover this with a blanket and say, state funds will go to, here's the criteria. Right. Right? Best return for the money or whatever it may be. Right. Right? I mean, it shouldn't be that hard. Right? It shouldn't be anywhere to this hard or complicated or political. It shouldn't be. No. Um, but, but because they politicize everything, they're maybe. willing to falsify data to support their line of, well, of thinking on everything. And, and every time you put up these criteria for a federal contract or a federal or where the government's going to invest their money or anything like that, it's, these things are always written in a way that favor the people who made the contributions. Surprise. <laughs> no, exactly. Shocker. Right? So No. Yeah. So I'm that's so why, disappointed. You know, most of these things you probably do honestly <laughs> and fairly in five or six words. Well, to a degree. Like, you know, the, you have to define best. You have to define what happens with a change order. You have to define how those will be handled. And you, yeah, sure, I mean, there's, but you there's, can write that in and you can say, before a contract has to be, is given out, it has to be defined what constitutes best. <laughs> right? Okay. I mean, that's just not that hard to do. Yeah, and think. I've worked on a lot of federal contracts. Sure, sure. And yeah. I've, I've worked I, on a lot of contracts, period, that have, have been broken because of imprecise language. So no, well, I, I, I think about law again, you know, from a, a different perspective. But I, I know. And I've worked on federal contracts where the person who won the contract was the person that wrote the contract. <laughs> right? Federal government goes, write this contract for us. Okay. You got it. Here's, here's what the bid looks like. And then they win the bid. <laughs> I, I mean, that's just not uncommon. Jeez. It's just how it works. And it would be very nice if it worked differently. Government corruption is, is, is another subject we ought, to, yes. <laughs> we ought to touch on at some point. Yes, it is. So, all right. Well, let's, let's put a bow on this if we can. We disagreed on what tribalism actually means. <laughs> I don't think we disagreed necessarily on how to fix it, though. Changing the norms in the social group that people find themselves affiliated with, that's, that's really what it amounts to. And I think that, that that's really the only solution to, to tribalism. 
as as we've defined it in this podcast. Well, yeah, and, and this, the the norm there we change it to is we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal. Right, right. right. That is the anti tribalism part of this country. Right, right. But I mean, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to make it con- concrete. So. I mean, that's that's it's a, a beautiful moral statement. It is. And how does that play out in a classroom? How does that play out in a job? How does that play out in how you, you know, treat your neighbor and in that kind of thing? So, you know, I, I mean, creating creating a society really and we got to do this through the, through the kids. We've got to do it through the schools, creating a society where people don't judge each other based on immutable characteristics or basically anything else. and whatever team, quote unquote, that they, they find themselves on, that that team says, you know, you're going to take personal responsibility. The, the Boy Scouts, I think everybody should, not the Boy Scouts in the current iteration, but the Boy Scouts of the 1950s, let's just make everybody like be part of something like that, <laughs> you know, and, and the, the moral code that goes along with that. It, that's really kind of what it is, is changing that moral code, isn't it? Yeah. It is. And, and I mean, that was a really long-winded way for me to get there. But <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's got to be society-wise, not just changing the schools. It's got to be. No, it's got to. It, it, it definitely has to people, be, but it's going to be society-wide eventually if we get into the schools. Well, Because that's how the progressives got this. Yeah, but people need to. I mean, the other side of all this is people understanding the bad effects of these things. Mm-hmm. And they're all around us. And they're undeniable. Right. I mean, the crime, the homelessness, the substance abuse, the suicide rate, the it goes on and on and on. It's and like, yet the progressives continue to push the policies that exacerbate these things. And so. Yeah, well, progressives view as well. It's not it's it, not undeniable. We're just not doing enough of it. Right. Right. That's their answer. We're yeah. just not doing enough. Yeah. It's right? not being done correctly. Yeah, exactly. You're just not doing enough. Right. Never mind. These have been the results. Every place these ideas have been put into place. Right. And and we really need people to be able to make that argument. Right. And and point that out. Right? This is not because part of this is yes, we present a much better vision. Create a vision of equality where you're rewarded on your effort and your enterprise and your creativity and your ability to, to contribute and be of value to others. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Versus no, I deserve things because I belong to this group, right? I, I mean, and, and I understand why getting things because you belong to a group is attractive because it seems easy. At the end of the day, you're not going to get those things you think you're going to get because ultimately somebody, for those things to exist, somebody has to earn them. Yeah. Somebody has to create them. Yeah. And if you're not going to create them, you're not going to get them. Nobody's going to get them. I mean, that's that's really the message of from from all of this. So, yeah, we need people who, who can go make that statement of truth. Understanding how to engage in persuasive rhetoric, not rhetoric. Uh, I'm going to use rhetoric yeah. and, and and understanding, I mean, really how to how to construct that persuasive argument, how to talk to people about these ideas. That's paramount and and it is a skill that's learnable i don't know that i have learned it very well but it's a skill that's learnable well and we can all get the, out the there more and people who make this argument the more persuasive this argument becomes because then it becomes the norm yes because then it becomes the norm yeah 
Yes. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Well, we've solved one of the world's problems today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We haven't solved it. <laughs> but we know the solution. How's that? So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please go like us on iTunes and um, find us on Facebook and tell your friends and tell your family and continue to listen every time we download or upload a new episode. Really appreciate you being here, Keith. Thank you. Well, thanks for for doing this. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, folks, we'll talk to you later. Bye.